Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast, the Rick Shields Golf Show podcast, episode 165. Hope everyone's having a great start to 2023. We're back with a bang, but you might notice I'm on my own today. For this week, and maybe next week, I will be flying solo. I might get a co-host in next week, because Guy got some great news. He has had a little baby girl, obviously him and his wife, um, born on Christmas Eve. So, guys, on paternity at the moment, he'll be back very soon, but we wish Guy and his wonderful wife all the best with the baby, and uh, make sure you go and jump over to his Instagram and his Twitter to show your support. And I went and visited him, and he's absolutely taken to fatherhood like a duck in water. He's killing it. So, all the best. So, he'll be back, and I'm sure he'll be tired, but he'll be back with a bang very soon. Now, as we start a new year, 2023, it's time to reflect and a lot of goal setting, New Year's resolutions have started to take place. And I've certainly set my goals out this year. Um, one in my golf, my life, my business, and also my fitness and my health. Um, I'd love to know what your goals are. Have you set goals for your golf in 2023? Is it to play more, have more fun, improve? hit the ball longer, have less putts. I'd love to know what your goals are down in the comments below. So I think start of a new year is always the time to reflect and look at what you can achieve in the next 365 days. What can you achieve in this upcoming year? Um, with regards to content that you're going to see on the main channel, we are going to take it to a new level this year. We've got some incredibly exciting plans, some videos that we're going to enhance and improve and get better. Break 75 is going to be bigger and better this year. And I promise to everybody watching and listening right now, I'm going to get better. And I know you sometimes you love seeing me struggle, I get that, but I'm going to get better with my game. I'm going to put an action plan together to make me a better golfer in 2023. I want to get much closer to a scoring average of 72 or 3. That's my goal for this year. I'm going to go scoring average for 72. That's the plan. So I think you're going to really enjoy those. Also, I've got some new series coming out as well this year, which I'm really excited about. And I've got more matches lined up, these 10-shot challenges with Tour Pros. I've got two lined up that we might even be filming this month in January. It might mean jumping back on a plane again over to America, but there's some really exciting plans coming up. So make sure you are subscribed to the main channel. Also, 
you would have started to see at the start of 2023 driver release season. Already I've released on my channel the Callaway Paradigm driver review. Got to a bit really impressed with those drivers. You've probably seen the review. Three different drivers, very different category of, of golfers who they cater for this year. And you never know, I think a bit more testing, maybe a, a few more times out on the golf course, I might, I might be putting one of those Paradigm drivers in the bag. They did really impress me. Also today, as you're listening right now, at 1 p.m., there is going to be another driver release. Um, I think I can say it. New TaylorMade driver. 1 p.m. today on the main channel is going to be the new review of the TaylorMade drivers. I've also got brand new Ping drivers to test, brand new Cobra drivers to test. I've not finished testing with those just yet, so the reviews will be coming probably early next week or into next week, so stay tuned for those as well. But you always get a mad rush for new drivers at the start of the year. Um, Callaway and TaylorMade normally the big boys who release at the start of the year ping have come into this mix this year round and cobra always released at the start of january as well so exciting times in other news the rick shield golf show podcast the youtube channel which hopefully some of you watching on if you're not if you're listening make sure you do jump over to youtube and check out the rick shields golf show podcast channel to see our beautiful faces we're getting super close to 200 thousand subscribers how good is that thank you for everyone that's subscribed but if you've not yet i'm gonna do a little giveaway i'm gonna be giving away some unreleased prototype podcast merchandise now this this podcast merchandise might never ever ever hit the stores or be on the website or be able to buy because these are very early prototypes which we might have changed the design quite a bit from this However, to entice you to subscribe, make sure you do hit that subscribe button. Let's get over 200,000 subscribers as a start to 2023. It'd be amazing. Like this video and you've got a chance of winning this Rick Shields Golf Show podcast towel. It's a player's towel, so it's a big one with the Rick Shields Golf Show logo on it with the headphones and the RS and a Rick Shields limited edition prototype this might never ever get released head cover you might have seen over at the start of 2023 i did a survey i'd love you to fill out a survey i'll put a link in the top line in the description finally after many many years i'm going to be diving into the world of merchandise stay tuned for that it's going to be really exciting but this is early samples on the actual product and it is phenomenal product so make sure you check out the head cover and the towel if you want to win these one lucky subscriber is going to win it let's make sure we hit that subscribe button and get over 200,000 subscribers now this podcast <clears throat> is an interview with a super famous very successful golfer turned putting coach brad faxon now, Brad Faxon is known as being one of the greatest putters ever to have lived. He has had a fantastic career playing, but now he's turned his hand into coaching. Not just coaching anybody, but coaching the current world number one, Rory McIlroy, helping him with his putting and his mentality and his kind of mental approach. Well, not only has he now coached Rory McIlroy, he's also coached me. 
I managed to get a lesson off Brad Faxon himself. And that video will be an exclusive only for the podcast channel. And again, it's another reason to subscribe to this channel. We might do a few little extra clips and extra videos that will only sit on this channel. That's going to go later this week. I get a putting lesson from Brad Faxon himself. It's amazing. But before that, we sat down at Old Marsh Golf Club in Jupiter, Florida, and did a fantastic podcast all about his career, what he thinks about the game as it's developing now, his philosophy and mindset on putting, what makes a great putter, how you can become a great putter. All of that is in this podcast coming up. Now, this was filmed, I'm just going to give you a little heads up, this was filmed early morning at a active live golf course and we actually filmed it on this beautiful veranda the setting was brilliant the sun was coming up there was a bit of dew on the greens outside it was absolutely epic what we hadn't quite factored in for was the uh, maintenance staff the greenkeepers and obviously they were doing a fantastic job of making the golf course look brilliant but there was a bit of background noise which we apologize about we couldn't do much about it so you might hear a bit of lawn mowers and a bit of cutting but I think it adds to the ambience, to be honest with you. So sit back and enjoy this podcast with Brad Faxon interview. And again, latest week, you'll see um, the lesson I get off Brad Faxon. It's one of the, the greatest bits of putting advice I've ever got. And again, last reminder, make sure you subscribe to this channel to have an opportunity to win this prototype, never to be released merchandise. And again, we wish Guy and his wonderful uh, wife and his new baby girl all the best and we look forward to re- seeing his return to the podcast very soon guys enjoy this wonderful chat with brad faxon well brad this is a real pleasure great to be with you too Rick. first being with you at a venue like this i mean this is quite literally heaven no, this is heaven. Old Marsh uh, was built early 80s, right? Pete Dye. Uh, yeah. About the same time the Players' Championship course was built. Um, it was a home to Todd Anderson, who was a famous instructor. Greg Norman uh, came here and practiced. Mark Kalkovecchia. Um, it's a little gem. And, and you see that little pond in the middle of the that ninth and the 18th here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every hole you get out here, there's something to bug you. Water, marsh, alligators. Oh my god! So fantastic. I, I might be getting out here and playing tomorrow. Yes, you would so want to. I, I might see some of those that wildlife because it. I mean, it just looks spectacular. I, I'm just to be honest. This is my last couple of days left in Jupiter. I've just been loving Jupiter. Well, you, you um, when you come to Florida, and you then you finally get to here, where Jack Nicholas showed up in 1967 when PGA Boulevard was almost a dirt road, and now. You know, as the players migrated this way, Greg Norman and Nick Price and then Tiger, we have 75 to 100 PGA, LPGA Tour, Champion Tour players here for a reason. You know, you're close to the ocean, you're close to the Bahamas, great golf, uh, great airports, good food, uh, tax-free state, you know, no income tax here. So it's a place you want to be. It really is. Now, you might be listening and watching. Obviously, we're at a live golf course today, early in the morning. There's going to be a bit of maintenance noise, but that's it's part of the ambience what i like about it it's 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 lively it's busy because certainly over in the uk right now this is not what we're getting right now no it's frozen greens it's it's freezing cold you're wearing 15 different layers you're wearing you've got hand warmers in your pockets it's a very different experience no this is incredible uh and you're watching you know when we got here at 7 15 you watch the course wake up right you see all the dew 
hasn't been mown or swept yet, and, and you see the, the greening of the course. And this is a cold day here. <laughs> it's, it got into below 70 Fahrenheit. Um, it, yeah. There's nothing quite like it. Um, I'm excited to chat to you today because obviously you, you've had such a, a legacy in the game from, from playing, obviously on the PGA Tour, to now transitioning into kind of a coach and, a, and an expert in your field and working with currently right now the best player in the world you know Roy McIlroy has come on leaps and bounds in the last couple of years and obviously you've been instrumental in that development so I'd love to explore that with you a little bit as well but I think when obviously your name gets mentioned everyone straight away thinks of being a phenomenal putter you know that's that's your right. that's your superpower in the world of golf how did that kind of happen was that hard work dedication talent or was that something that you kind of found quite natural kind of in your career being such a great putter it's funny I, I think of people when when you want to get under my skin quickly and if you say oh you're lucky you were just born a good putter like I'm like wait that's an insult because the amount of work that goes on t into it started as a child when you didn't think of it as work right when you spent all these times trying to hit putts in the green or you were playing with your friends or practicing late at night and in the town I grew up in in the little state of Rhode Island up in the northeast my dad had a rule that you come home and the street lights come on. So he let me play until dark and I would never leave. You know, it was something I never thought of as, as a hard thing to do or as a job. And then when it got cold, I, I would play in adverse conditions and then put the clubs away for a while and play ice hockey or, you know, a load of other different sports. So I had a nice little uh, club in the, in the town where I grew up, an old Donald Ross course with lots of slope on the greens. So I, I kind of learned, I, I call it organically, you know, just by playing and learning and really what what helped me the most and I say this all the time now is as a kid I was a caddy you know at 12 years old I started carrying a golf bag around for four dollars you know and I would I, have I to you did a couple of rounds a, a day as well with that oh yeah and then when I got a little bit bigger you put two bags on you made a little bit more money and then as the members started to realize oh he could read a green then they'd pay you a little bit more money and um, you could always see early in the morning the the dew line the ball took and and I, I could see the path the ball took, and I started being able to read a green better because I saw at the end of the putts how much the balls broke. Uh, and I kind of keep that embedded in my mind now. Um, and I would say two things to the question about being a, a good putter or a great putter. Um, I got better as I got older. On the, when I got on the tour at 22, I had five or six years where I was kind of a middle-of-the-road statistically put, putter. And then I got I got to talk to Ben Crenshaw, and this, this was a, kind of a defining moment. He had won the Masters in 85, so this is a couple years later. And I asked him about putting and a couple questions, and he said, you know, when I, when I struggle with his putting, he said, he said two things that were incredible. He said, I make my backstroke longer than I make my follow-through, because we've always been taught to take it back low, slow, and then accelerate. Yeah. And he says, I like to let or allow my head and my knees to move. Right, and... You kind of go, wait a minute. No, yeah. you're not trying to stay still. He goes, oh, and he, he, you know, as Crenshaw can do, he puts his hands on the grip better than anybody that ever played. And he made this little motion. He goes, it's just a mini swing. There can be weight shift. So we'd, so we'd get a little bit of body movement. Yeah. You'd get a little bit of leg movement. A little and let, bit of what, wrist, a little move lag. to the left a little bit? Just a little bit. And, wow. and it was like, he, as he hit it, he kind of opened. And, you know, you could have a conversation for the entire 45 minutes about the putting stroke and, what does the head do? What do the eyes do? What does the neck do? Do you follow the ball? Do you look down? Um, and he said, I just like to release my body. 
Wow. And his head would turn, his eyes would turn, and it just looked right. And, and so with that information, is that something then you implemented in your own technique as well and, and how you became from a good putter, as you said, to a great yeah, putter? Yeah, my numbers got amazingly better the next year for 20 years of it, which I'm proud of, you know. Wow. And, and um, I, one other thing happened, but um, I always, when I tried to stay still and, you know, I tried to keep the putter back and then accelerate quickly, uh, my rhythm wasn't as good. I pulled a lot of putts when I tried to keep my eyes and my head down. I don't know why I did that, but as soon as I said, let me see if I, if, if I can move my body a little bit, let my head release, let my eyes re release a little bit, it just kind of softened everything up. It freed everything up. It allowed the putter to release naturally, and it helped. It, it you know, I think most players, when they say they putted their best, would be tension-free, right? Yeah. Not, not I'd be nervous, but it helped alleviate some of the, the tightness that I had. The tension. The control. Um, and, you know, you said you were a dreadful putter earlier. I mean, I, I'm I, a dreadful putter. My, <laughs> view, my viewers and my listeners will know this. So, so actually straight off this podcast, I'm going to have the honor of having a 30-minute putting lesson from yourself. And I can't wait to see what you say. But I, I'm very tense. I'm very kind of nervy. Um, it doesn't feel natural to me. Um, I, and again, we might dive into this later, but I always felt like I was a good putter growing up yep. because I was maybe I wasn't that fussed about knocking it six foot past on the first putt and then ramming it in the second. It's less nervous as you get a bit older and a bit more yeah. uh, tentative. And certainly when you start making YouTube videos and you have a few people watching, you think, you know, I better not miss this one. Yeah. yeah but yeah, anxiety. But I've never had a, I've never had a big putt. I've never had a putt for, to win a tournament like yourself. I've never been in that situation where you have to make a putt on a Sunday afternoon. And I must admit, I don't quite know how tall players do it. I, I, I find it incredible. I, I think of two putts. Um, in, I played in two Ryder Cups, one in 95 at Oak Hill in, in Rochester, New York, and the other one at Valderrama for Seve, who was the captain. And I had a putt on the, in the singles matches against David Guilford, who had played extremely well with Seve. And on the 18th hole, he hit his second shot over the green, which was dead. It was impossible to get that shot to even stay on the green. And I had bunkered my second and hit a bunker shot to probably about eight feet. Guilford didn't get it on the green, left it short, and then he hit an incredible shot to get it to 15 feet. And he made that putt for a bogey, or I would have had two putts to win the hole to tie the match for that needed half point. So I had this eight-footer, and you can't imagine the amount of people around there, the cameras, your teammates. You see them, and you never see that in any other championship. So your heart's racing, you know, and how you quiet yourself down. And I had read this putt. It was a little right to left or a little downhill, so it, was a, it wasn't an impossible putt. You know, it was a putt that you could make, and, and I had it. I, I felt very confident over this ball that I, I had the start line, I had the read, and I hit this putt, and it never broke, and I hit it right where I wanted to go. And the golf professional there was Craig Harmon, you know, Butch Harmon's brother. Yeah. had been there for years, and he said to me afterwards, he said, I was dying to run out on the green and tell you that this putt never breaks to the left. Everybody misses it high. And I, I wished I'd known that, of course. Not bad. But when you do everything right and you miss, you can get angry and upset. And we were devastated because we lost that Ryder Cup by that half point, and four or five of our matches went down to the last hole where Curtis lost, Jay lost, Haas. And it was just awful to watch. But at Valderrama, I was playing against Faldo in Westwood, and Freddie Couples was my partner, and we got to the 18th hole one up. Freddie was out of play immediately, 
And Valdo hit his second to six feet, a beautiful iron shot. And I had bunkered my shot again and had to get it up and down to have a chance if Valdo misses. Yeah. So I hit my bunker shot just inside Valdo's, uh, almost on the exact line. Fanny Sunison was yeah. caddying for him, and they were unbelievably – Fanny was behind Nick. You know, that putter face looks too far right, looks too far left. Nick standard, stood away from it, went back up, stood away again, and then he missed. Fanny was saying that. Over, yeah, I over. was listening to it. I'm, oh and my I'm goodness. You know, as close as I could be. And now I get up over this one, and I remembered Oak Hill. I remembered all the stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I am not going to step away from this two times. I am, you know, and I felt like I could have stood over this putt forever. I felt so comfortable and hammered it in the hole. Wow. So, I mean, that's as much pressure as I've felt hitting a putt. And, and I think that for everybody, you can still do this when you're nervous. You know, yeah. I think people say they get nervous. And they can't function. You can function. You yeah. just got to allow yourself to do it. Well, you, you do see it week in, week out. Like somebody who's hold a phenomenal putt on on different levels of tours. Like it happens. It does. People, happen. and certainly, I think in in um, the fact that it's it's for their career. It might be a, a, a really important putt on a Friday afternoon to make the cut, like to make money. You yeah. know, and that that's another different level of nerves. Because how are you going to pay your mortgage? How are you going to pay your bills? So like all those types of pressure, and, and inevitably, when people I think think about pressure in golf, it does often link to putting, because right. the aim of the game is to get the ball in the hole. And when you talk about that for the cuts on Friday, um, you think about how great Tiger's streak of all the cuts he made in a row, um, the grinders that that can stay whether it's Rory or John Rahm, you mentioned him, and how important it is for those. And, and this time of year, when it's November and December, the qualifying schools for all the different tours, yeah. whether it's LPGA here or LET, or you know, there's qualifying going on out for the Champions Tour, those got on television and people watched because of how important that was, too. Yeah, and they don't often get shown, do they? So no. much on a Friday afternoon. I know it. Um, when you were working hard in your golf game, and you're on tour, how much time as a percentage did you actually put into your putting? Or was it the fact that you you were already a great putter to some degree and you built it up? And then did you have to then transition to put more time into other parts of your game? Yeah, it's funny that you asked me that because yesterday I was with Rory McIlroy and his whole team up at a, a cool place in Georgia called a Hoopy, a golf club. And Bob Rotella, the sports psychologist, was there. And he was a guy I went to early in my career. I was one of the first professionals, along with Tom Kite, Davis Love, to see him. And I said to him yesterday, I said, you know, I'm teaching a, a, a bunch of players, a lot of elite junior players. And to answer your question, when I got older and my putting was better, I practiced very little. Right. right. Not that I didn't practice putting, yeah, but yeah. I left the course with peace of mind. I, I was never thinking I need to change my putter. Can I change the grip? You know, I was... I was happy. I didn't need to relearn anything that I was no. doing. And I'm like, how do I tell that to a 19-year-old that I did? You know, so, but at 19, I never did that. You know, I was always practicing and putting. And it's different now. And, Rick, I, I know you teach. You're around great golfers. Parents want structure in their kids' lives, right? They yeah. want structure in their golf game. I don't know any of the great players that ever had structure. You know, they, they were out there playing and practicing and learning mostly on their own, Yeah. right? They didn't have somebody telling them what to do all the time. No. There's no manual. There is no manual, and that's a great point because a lot of the parents want to know, okay, what did you do today and show me that you improved? And I'm like, wait, you don't have that in practice, no. right? You could say you hold 103-foot putts in a row, 
but it's really what you do on the course while you're playing in the tournament. Of course. And, it's, and practice on the golf course is so important. I think it's really important. And I was, I was a guy when I, when I liked to practice, say, going to the Masters, I did much better just playing rounds of golf and hitting shots that you were going to get there. And now they have an unbelievable practice facility simulating the golf course. But it was hard for me to do it just on a flat lie on a driving range. Yeah. We just had a, a little pause there. The maintenance crew were, they were definitely wanting to feature on the podcast then for a second, Brad. I know. They want to show how hard they're working in front of the bosses right here. But. Um, the, the question I wanted to kind of lead into then next was almost this idea. Let's say we have a lot of young fans and they might want to become great players in the future. How much time as they grow up and develop should they potentially look to spend on their putting? And I know two minutes ago we just said it, there's no manual. But as a guide, is it is it more than half of the practice time should be put in or is so it hard to it's, answer? it's funny if, if we looked statistics now we have the PGA tour has data beyond belief. Um, and you would say if generally, if you hit 70 shots, more than half of those are from within 100 yards. Yeah. Um, as the games evolved and changed and the, the power part of the game is so important now, um, strength and speed, are really important and you can make up more when we use that term strokes gained you can make up more shots by being proficient tee to green yeah um but i i, I still think the skill part of around the green putting um because we all know how important the, the mental side is right your mindset when you play uh and how devastating to an opponent or your playing partner is when you can hit it off a little bit uh and scoring is incredible. And my favorite golfers to watch when I was growing up, we mentioned Ben Crenshaw, were Tom Watson, uh, Seve, yeah. um, to see him. And, and Rory made a comment earlier this year uh, that he was become more of a complete player. Yeah. And what he said was, look, I've, I've, I used to win by just beating people up with the tee ball and my iron play. Yeah. And he says, now when that's off, I've won tournaments by my putting being good. You know, he's had several wins this year um, when he's, been plus five strokes gained putting yeah. so I, I think that and I call Rory a grinder and a grinder to me is a compliment it's somebody that never quits you know never gives up can just make a cut and then finish fourth or fifth and have a, a great week out of a, a so-so week it's, it's almost like grittiness yeah you see in, in, in really strong players like they just they have that bit between their teeth yep. and they're not going to let it go and whether that's whether it, they're in contention or they're fighting to get in, con in contention, they seem to be able to have that, again, that superpower to be able to make things happen. And Rory's a great example of that. I, I like that word superpower. When, when Tiger first burst on the scene in the, in the mid-90s, he won two tournaments at the end of 1996. And do you remember him saying, you know, I didn't have my A game. Yeah. And, and Davis Love and I, who were very close friends, we were playing on that Ryder Cup in 97, Tiger's first one. And we, we kind of pulled him aside before he won the Masters and said, look, Kiger, you're just new on the scene here. We, we had no idea the greatness we were going to see. You kind of offend some of your peers when you say you don't have your A game and you're winning. Um, and then he showed us what an A game looked like at the yeah. Masters at you know, a 21-year-old. And we're like, oh, God. Oh, that's what we've but, got to go no, It was with. funny when we told him that. You know, he, he looked at us and he, he, I think he understood, yeah. but he just wanted to squash you. you know, And, yeah. and he had that you you called it grittiness but the superpower that nobody else has ever had if 
let's say for example what what would you have classed as your as your weaker part of your game when you're out on tour fairway accuracy <laughs> yeah driving accuracy was so was length not so much of an issue but more accuracy back then i was average length you know i had a few seasons when i um didn't drive it well in my they only measured two holes and i i wasn't ever typically called a long hitter ever but hitting fair Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Airways was all my biggest issue. So the hardest major for me would have been the traditional U.S. Open course with narrow fairways, really high rough. Yeah, that that was a hard thing to do. But I thrived on Open Championships and you know Masters, where you could kind of hit it anywhere and escape. Yeah, and then let's say from a player, and let's not go from a modern day player. Let's not go for a Rory. But if you could have had somebody's long game in the era when when you were playing. And obviously, then blend into your the rest of your game. Yep. Who would you have picked as having been to take all your tee shots? Well, Greg Norman, and I say that easily because I started playing a lot with Ian Baker, Finch, and Norman in the early '90s when Greg was number one in the world, and he just drove it so much better. And it was a thrash, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it didn't look beautiful; it looked explosive and powerful. Like, and we hadn't seen many players do that. Um, I started going to Australia to play a lot and played with him, and I was in amazement. In 1996, um, he asked me to play a practice run on Wednesday of the Masters, and and we went out late, and um, I said, Greg, if we play at 11 o'clock, we're going to miss the par three tournament. And he goes, F- him. I go, oh, can I say that? Yeah, of course yeah, you can. Okay, so, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, so I had played in a few Masters, but I'm like, I'm a traditional guy. I think the par three tournament I wanted to play in. But I also wanted to play with Greg Norman late and just see his preparation. Yeah. And he was working with Butch Harmon. And that day, it was just the two of us. 
and most people were going towards the par three, so we started playing with not a lot of people out there, and he was playing without a glove. And I don't know if you remember, but Greg used to kind of re-grip his hands on the club like Sergio did later. So. Yeah. And, and Greg played that day with like one or two little uh, waggles, and bam, he drove in that practice round as good as anybody I've ever seen a guy drive it. And I said, this guy's going to win. Yeah. And Sunday when he's playing with Faldo in that final round, I was playing a couple hours early, so I finished my round as they were playing the ninth hole, and Greg had a, a sand wedge into that front right pin, hits it on the green, spins it all the way down the hill, makes a double, loses his lead. And then if you watched him play that back nine, he played with a glove, and he kept milking the grip, milking the grip, and he couldn't get it to go. And you can tell the pressure affected him. You yeah. know, how, you know, he, he wanted to win so badly, so yeah. badly, and devastating loss for him. Um, I'm going to then flip the question slightly the other way. If one player oops, tomorrow could have your putting ability, okay, out of the current crop of players now, who do you think would maximize their potential more? So is, is there a particular player that you think, God, if I could put for that player, he'd have won 10 majors by now? I mean, there's there's two guys that are probably a little bit past their prime, but I, I would have said Adam Scott and Louis. Yeah. And, you know, Louis had a great putting year a couple of years ago working with Justin Parsons. I mean, he was one of the top putters on the tour, but it did hold him back for a while. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I think Louis was a guy that was as likable a human being on and off the course. Yeah. Tremendous dancer, if you yeah. didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him do things at night you would just die. But, Tremendous dancer. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know. I, I, when I played, Steve Elkington had the best-looking swing, if you were looking aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Louie had that. He was the next Steve Elkington. Um, and a guy that you would have wanted to win a lot more. So I would say Louie and, and Adam, I wish I could have kind of – handed yeah. them something and, and the world would have been a happier place would you have, have you ever coached them would you have wanted to coach them were, were you available for coaching at that point in time you know i, I started working rory in 18 but i've been ha ha having more conversations with players i didn't have like a, a home base no you know i spent time talking to guys like gary woodland and justin thomas patrick cantley some of them on a more formal basis but nothing like now um and was I, that more them coming to you these players yes going, yeah and being know. here too was you know like justin thomas is close with rory he's a member at the bears club um had some interesting talks with him and and louis lived at the same place i did um and, but we never really talked about technique at all and i didn't want to be the person that would push that on him yeah you know, I, I, that wasn't my approach yeah you were there as a as a helping hand potentially yeah, but I I could be a, these are friends of yours they're people who you know want yeah. to listen to you your knowledge and your depth of the game is something that's super important well and, and it's interesting now you know you see almost two types of players like a justin rose that would go out and you never see him on the range without obviously his caddy but his swing coach um some kind of sports psychologist performance coach maybe a short game coach putting coach you know yeah. and then you see guys like rory that rarely have anybody with him at a tournament yeah and and those two approaches are vastly different um, I think some people like to have somebody's eyes on them at all time. Yeah. Um, and you know, like Rory's better when he's just by himself, picturing a shot and swing. And so people are different in that in that yeah. way. So and you different. can't say one's right or wrong for not everyone. At all. Not a chance. Um, 
you're obviously very synonymous with Titleist and Scotty Cameron. Where did that kind of love affair with Scotty Cameron come? Because I, I love following you on Instagram yep. when you unbox these incredible, exclusive, limited edition, never oh, been seen before. We're going to tease putters, you later on today, putters Rick. We, we, and head covers. And, <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm drooling. And I'm like, oh my goodness, these are the, the nobody gets to have these things. And no. obviously, I'm guessing your relationship with Scotty is very strong. You've obviously worked, had Scotty Cameron putters. Yes. And how did that all come about? So I mentioned Crenshaw before, somebody that improved my stats. Scotty was hired by the accushionate company by Titleist in the mid-90s. The town I grew up in, Rhode Island, was 25, 30 minutes away from the headquarters where all the golf balls were made. It was called accushionate, which was a river in Massachusetts, where all the rubber was been uh, sent up on these ships. Ah. Where they, you remember the wound balls, yeah, right? Yeah. That's a thing of the past. I didn't actually but, know that's where the name accushionate came from. Yeah, so I've never played another golf ball um, other than Titleist and the, the golf shop at Rhode Island Country Club never sold another equipment uh, company's golf balls. Why yeah, did they right, on, right on the doorstep. Yep. So when Titleist, um, in, in Titleist equipment contracts, they never required you to play all 14 clubs. Okay. Um, they, they would much rather have you happy and playing well. Of course. Than struggling with the particular club that they didn't suit you. I so, suppose as long as you wearing the hat and you've got the, you the hat, and right. got the head cover on your driver. And the golf ball, right? That yeah. was That's their mainstay. Um, so um, when Scotty comes to Titleist in 95 or 96, I was using a, a ping putter called a My Day. Yeah. And I said, I, I didn't know this, um, but the equipment company's patent rights expired after 12 or 13 years. So okay. it was a free-for-all. So that's why like the, the most popular putter when, when I was playing was a ping answer. Yeah. All the players copied that. So Scotty turned the answer into the Newport style, and then everybody copied those. Similar um, to what the, the Spider has happened to the Spider a little bit now. Yes. Exactly. With Taylor Made and Spider, and now obviously Callaway do a version. And a everybody few has a version of what was a two ball or a little deeper mallet. Correct. Um, and so Scotty comes, he kind of makes it takes about a year to make a putter that I felt comfortable using. Wow. And, and now I've got a, a trophy collection of some cool Scotty stuff. And he, he likes to have, you know, these unboxings. And this month's box just showed up yesterday. I'll show it to you when we're done. But he's got a putter head cover that's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with a little bell under it. It's just, and it says Scotty Cameron. So cool. I mean, that is, <laughs> there's literally, there'll be people watching and listening that will be drooling because Scotty collection, Scotty Cameron collectors, are a really strong, like very, um, what's the right word? Um, they have a love for, for the collection of it. They're very determined. They're very passionate is probably what I'm trying to get no to. No question. Um, and, and anything, if you did a head cover with anything on it, it would sell out like that. He has a devout following. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, Danielle's over here who helps me with my social media stuff and the posts. And when you look at the comments from some of these people, some of them get so angry. I yeah. Oh, and I know you get it. And I'm it sorry for giving you those angry comments. I probably shouldn't do that. But <laughs> I, I, I'm looking, I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, not many people in the world, if anybody, gets those kind of nice little boxes and presents. No, and, you know, obviously the consumer has to pay for that to be a member of the club and you pay an annual fee. And a lot of times those limited edition head covers, that website crashes. They go, yeah. how does that happen when I'm ready to <laughs> press the button? So but, how many posters do you have in the collection? Oh. Um, I probably have 50 putters. I probably have three or four that I've used in my career. I don't use, I haven't used many. 
different ones. Right? I've used the same putter for a long time. I must admit, I watched a clip of, of yourself that says you shouldn't tinker, you shouldn't mess about too much, and you shouldn't change things that often. Am I right in saying that? Uh, well, I, that's something I believed for myself. I, I, I did a little master putting thing with Nick Faldo the other day, and he, he changed putters during tournaments. He won the, the first Masters. He won in 89. He used a bullseye for three rounds and then completely switched to some kind of mallet the final round. I'm like, how do you do that? Uh, I, my viewers will know I, I switch putters you do. a lot. I switch my putting grip a lot. Have you ever carried two different putters in your bag in the same round? Uh, <laughs> I got a lot of nods from you. <laughs> my guys are nodding behind. Um, I, I've... Uh, and, and awesome. it maybe might be no shock that I'm a terrible putter, <laughs> potentially. Um, so so wait, I'll tell you one funny story. Kari Webb came to see me yeah. years ago for a putting lesson. And um, obviously one of the best women players of all time. And I said, bring the putters you, you use. You know, if you have a few, bring them there. And I'm not making fun of her because I know how this can be so difficult. She showed up with 13 putters. And she had seen uh, Dave Stockton and Stan Utley the weeks before me. And I said, look, if we were going to play in a tournament starting tomorrow, pick three. So she picked three. They were all really different in styles. And I said, when's your next tournament? She says, two weeks. I said, okay. So we went and talked. And I said, we talked about being consistent. Like if we're going to breed consistency in how you putt, let's breed consistency in your approach to your practice, to the putter that you're going to use. And I said, let's make a commitment when you walk away this afternoon that you're going to take this one putter, you're going to practice with it for two, day, two weeks, and use this in the tournament. Yeah. Fair? She stared at me like it was the hardest thing she'd ever been asked. <laughs> yes, it's fair. I said, okay. So we spent time doing stuff. She called me two days later. I couldn't do it. She said, Honestly. so that's what happens to people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I said, because I just don't want to be the next person you pass through, you know, and you're going to go find some magic answer from somebody else. Of course, of course. But, I mean, it goes back to what you asked me before. Like, did I practice more or less? I, I, was, be, I was always going home with... Um, an inner confidence that I could do it and I didn't need to give myself a lesson at night. I'm going to very quickly before I come on to a topic I'm super interested to learn a little bit more about. Um, if for viewers and listeners, and this might be this might be too hard and I don't mind if you say it, we can do this in a lesson later that we're going to have. Is there anything that viewers and listeners need to focus on mostly or more than anything else with putting is there is there a big mistake that you see with amateur golfers that you think oh if the majority did this slightly better a lot more people would be better putters yeah that's a great question because i've started teaching at a club down here um jupiter hills and teaching a lot of amateur golfers that are you know 10 to 20 handicaps um, a lot of them are, that are better than that but i would say Putter fitting like is important, like the length of the putter, the weights of the putter. Um, so you, you would rarely go buy a driver now without testing it, right? You'd never get a set of irons without hitting balls and, and making sure you have right lengths, weights. So, so many members don't have a putter that's the right length. They have no idea the concept of what weight is, swing weight, total weight, no concept of um, the, the stroke, the, the path should be in and out, you know, all yeah. these things that, so when I get a tour player, it's they always have a putter that's the right size for them. You know, you'd like to think, yeah, um, definitely. But if I had to say one thing that I see most consistently um, with the better player versus the bad golfer, the average golfer, is their stroke is so slow. 
it's so slow. The backstroke is so slow Interesting. that it's it's impossible to get consistent contact. And you know, you, you've seen you know all these different putting devices, whether it's Sam or Quintec or Blast Motion. And when I measure the putting stroke of bad golfers, it's half the time. And and a lot of times. And and they're not only is their backstroke slow, it's short. Right. So you know when you talk about pendulum, yeah, and you, you look at an old grandfather clock and the the swinging arm there, it's a beautiful rhythm and tempo to it, and it's symmetrical on both sides. I never see that in the average golfer. Um, There's actually a beautiful grandfather clock just in the hallway there, and I actually walked past it this morning, and I actually noticed yeah. how beautiful its motion was. Weirdly, how you've said that today, well, yeah. Um, and and that's a fascinating thing to say because you'll see a lot of golfers who will go back slow, and then I'm guessing then the fault is they'll speed up too much. Yeah, that that and they'll, change and they'll of, hit it and they'll whack it. There's a lot of hit. You know, I think good players felt like they collected the ball, you yeah. know, or, or covered the ball, and, and then. I mean, you see a lot of different things, and you know, average golfers a lot of body motion. You know, they're moving and guiding and steering, watching the putter. Yeah. I bet you must watch the putter once in a while. I can't even honestly. My head scrambled at the moment with putting. Yeah, and my it, head scrambled. I don't know if I look at the ball, the putter, the hole. I've I've tried everything, but I've been like I said, I've been interested to get your take on it out there this morning. Um, and then coming more to my final point. You worked with Rory over the last couple of years. Obviously, he's now the world number one. He has had a phenomenal season. Bar, bar a made you know a huge major tournament. You know, he's he's absolutely killing it. What have you, what, what have you done to help him? Yeah. What have you done to assist him? It, obviously, it's a team effort. I get that, but there's he's definitely improved his game enormously this year. He has. I mean, we're getting on almost five years now. Uh, oh, I was in five years. Sorry, we, we started working in the, in the March of 2018, so you know, a few more months it'll be five years. And I mean, this was his best putting career statistically uh, he's ever had. Uh, and a little bit like later in my career, where I feel like I practice less and putt less, he, I don't think he has to go to the putting green worried. You know, he 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 has some tendencies like everybody does, but he's able to manage those, and there aren't a lot of them. And what I've learned from Rory, I've learned way more about the game than I could ever tell him, is he he thinks about his swing or his thoughts in a simple little phrase. Um, I could give an example for a, swill, um, a swing thought he might have, pause at the top. Something easy that you can visualize. I think a lot of players, when they get too detailed and can't explain what they're trying to do, that's going to be really complicated when the pressure's on. Yeah. Um, and... With Rory, there's just a few things in his setup that we try and monitor. Uh, he could explain those things very easily, and and where and what he likes to feel in his stroke. Um, I don't think he's out there trying to guess anymore. He he he's used the same putter now for a couple of years with the yeah, mallet. Yeah, um, and that's you, been you very. You can tell up from the grip. Yeah, has he, oh, he still got a Ryder Cup grip on it's it? It's the Ryder Cup grip. And I it's held it yesterday. I'm like it's worn out. Like that bugs me, you know and. <laughs> Um, but would would you recommend him to change it or not? Not a chance. <laughs> and I that was in my career changing a putter grip was the thing I I dreaded changing because you wow. know the feel of that grip, the weight of that grip, the texture, you know the the stickiness. I, I hated getting to a point where the putter grip got a little worn where you had to rub it out with um you know hot water on the towel or something like that. To, especially when it got cool, like going over to play and 
in the open. Um, but yeah, that I didn't like changing putting putting grips, and he's had that thing on there for a while. Well, again, similar to similar to Tiger, you know, he's hardly ever oh, yeah. changed from that ping. Nothing. Obviously, stealth it out that putter grip. He's had a few little experiments over the last few yep. years, but you know, it, it's interesting when you look at potentially some of the best. They've they've don't change things that often. No, and you think about. As the putters evolved, and I think set, it was the stat says Scotty says seventy percent of the players now are using mallet putters. Right. Um, and if you looked at the old style putters, whether it was a bullseye or an eighty two blade or a ping answer or Scotty's Newports, those kind of went together with a smaller grip. And you used to compliment somebody by saying, "You've got great touch. You got great feel. You got great hands." Right. One that you liked. Somebody said, "Boy, you got great hands." That would be something you'd go, "I like when." Somebody says that now these grips are massive. You're taking hands out of it. You're trying to put big muscles into it. And I kind of wonder, is that the direction we need to go for? So that's one thing I'm going to look at when we're on the putting green later. I'm going to give you an insight to, to maybe my putting psyche. Uh -oh. Okay, if I go into a pro shop, okay, and there's a row of putters, there might be 30 putters on the shelf there, okay, I look at the grips first to determine which, which putter I'd Pick you up. look at the grip first. What are you looking for in your so grip? So I'll straight away discard anything grips. I'll take all the skinny grips out. Nothing skinny. Nothing skinny. Oh no. So e so even if the head, I'll take all the skinny ones out. So I'm left with only the thick ones, and then I'll start looking at the heads of the thick ones. Isn't that funny? I think the biggest difference between what and you know Brian's over here, the director of golf at Old Mark. When a when a member comes into a pro shop. And they're looking for a driver head or something like this, or they pick a club out of my bag. They always pick it up and they shake it and they go, it feels good. And I'm like, a good player picks up the club and puts it down and goes, that looks good. Correct. You looked at the head first, yeah. right? You, this looks nice. You always get that when I used to work in a pro shop, you get a guy coming in and shake it and go, oh, that's quite whippy. Yeah, it shakes go, well, it. Well, that's not, that's not telling you how whippy <laughs> it is. That's just, oh, we're getting all the noises now. <laughs> That's last night's last night's dinner. <laughs> we might, for the first point in this podcast, have silence. You got the crows. That's nice. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, yeah. So um, it is. It is funny seeing. So I've I've got a somewhat uh, similar story, and I have to tell it you super quickly because he he would love the fact I've brought this up. A, a friend of mine, Rob Potter, uh, he's been on my channel a few times. He. Um, it, he did something similar. He came for his first putting lesson. And I said, well, come down. He said, what putter do you want me to bring? I said, well, bring them all. He had mallets, blades, broom handles, left-handed putters, kids' putters, the works. I was like, whoa, we've got we've to we've get rid of some of these. But it was similar sorry, to what you were saying before. Um, okay, great. I, I, I think what's, for me, putting and... and and I know that's obviously, as we've mentioned, is, is the kind of superpower that you've you've managed to develop, is is a game within a game. It's almost it's somewhat separate to golf from a power standpoint and a hitting. But the main objective is obviously getting the ball in the hole. What I find fascinating with putting is almost everyone's really on the same level playing field. Doesn't matter if you're super strong, or you're tall, or you're shorter. I'm guessing so, unless you can correct right. me on and, that. And you would think that strength doesn't have to play an important role and because yeah. you don't need to have incredible speed. You have to have feel. I, I think when I when I hear some of the stuff Rory said, um, 
about what we've done. He says we talk about situations a lot. You know, it's it's not just face to path, right? Yeah. It's not all mechanics. It's about what happens. And you know, having been a good putter and having played for a long time doesn't mean I was going to be a good coach necessarily. But talking to him about whether you use the line or not, and what, how do you use the line? Do you use the line to aim up the face, or do you use it for your start line? Um, you know, reading a putt. Yeah. How, what do you see? How do you see do you, when you're? What's the last thing you look at on a breaking putt? Are you looking at the start line of you know the, ac, uh, the apex of the putt or something like that, or you see it all at once? Do you see it with color? Do you see it three dimensionally? But you know, for Rory, I think one of the coolest things when he won the Players Championship. Last year, he had a 12-foot putt left to right on the on the 12th hole, and he had underread a bunch of left to right putts previously. And we talked about playing more break and taking high lines. And I remember seeing him step away from this putt as he was over it, readjusting the line to play more break and then making it. And that's things that I don't think it makes as much of a difference to an average golfer. Things like that, but it's millions of dollars for the best players in the world. Did you did you ever imagine you moving into coaching? And are you enjoying this kind of transition into more of a coach? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's very gratifying to help anybody out. Um, you feel in a way you're giving back. Uh, it's frustrating because it, well, I think of the best athletes over here. Michael Jordan obviously was the best basketball player, but he wasn't a fantastic coach, and I don't think he had an understanding of how people couldn't adopt what he did so naturally. Wayne Gretzky, the fantastic ice hockey player, the same way. Even Jack Nicholas, in a way, was um, so good, but he, he could talk to players, but I, I don't think he coached them particularly no, it's well. A, it's a different skill set. It really is. And I've I've come at it now looking at all the great coaches that are out there. David Ledbetter was my first instructor first lesson I ever had and then I see the the new guys and all the data out there and I'm like how you assimilate all that and then how do you translate it to someone in a helpful way because I think all these guys want to appear really smart that they know everything and that that they want to be able to measure everything but and and I see instructors of today criticizing like a Butch Harmon because maybe he didn't understand ball flight laws and I'm going you see how many players won playing for him I mean, they die to have his record. We were at the Floridian yesterday, ah. and I, we had uh, we had Claude on the podcast. Yeah, and that was really interesting. Just listening to to again talking about making it simple. Yeah, it's not about data. I, I feel like golf sometimes has moved into this world where everyone feels like they have to be a golf scientist, and it, it, it feels like it's moving away from coaching. Coaching's the relationship. It's the communication. It's the getting the best out of that player, and every player is different. Every single player reacts to the situations different. They want to be they want to be explained to something different. That's why I try my videos to make things incredibly simple because it doesn't need to be complex. No, it doesn't need it to doesn't. be complicated. Um, and and I think the academic wants to have everything thrown at them like they're in, uh, you know, a, a graduating class and getting their MBA. But um, the simple stuff that players think about, and, and Rory's the best example of that. He doesn't think about a whole lot. And, and Rotella would say something that the today's instructors don't like is, you know, he's trying to get players to see a picture, see a shot, and, and who painted their pictures better than Tiger and Jack when they're behind the ball. Rory does it well. And it doesn't have to be something that takes a long time. Faldo did it too, you know, with the practice swings and trying to see what he wanted to do. And then reacting to that yep. and that's that's what i did on a putting green 
so well. And, and I made it easier, not more difficult. Do you find it hard now? This is my last question. Do you find it hard now when Rory's in a tournament and you, you're watching from the TV, whether you're here at home or whether you're in the tournament, is it hard now to watch a player that you've coached that you, you so desperately want to perform well? Is that hard for you? Do you switch off? Do you not watch? Or do you watch every everything that you can? I, I try to watch as much as I can. I get up early when you know it's in Europe over yeah. here and they're five or six hours ahead. Um, but it's it's gut-wrenching sometimes when you have no control. I, I've never felt like that playing by myself. You had full control. You had full control. Now I, I much more appreciate for my wife who watched me <laughs> around the planet. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, well, it is. When you don't have control of it, it's really tough. Brad, you've been a pleasure today. Thank you so much. And thanks. Uh, I know we've, we've had a little tricky situation here with some of the maintenance, but it's obviously it makes this golf course look so phenomenal. Uh, we're going to head on to the putting green now, which I looked at before, and it might quite possibly be one of the best putting greens I've ever seen in uh, my it's life. It's the perfect putting green. Size of it, the amount of slope and undulation. So it's got enough flat spots where you can practice if you wanted straight putts, but long putts, perfect condition. So and um, if you play Old Marsh tomorrow, um, bring some balls. <laughs> they call golf balls here Marsh food. <laughs> Alligator food. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to go and grab my 17 putters out the car. Okay. And I'll meet you on the putting green. Sounds great, Rick. Thanks. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.